A Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 57. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week. On Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes of business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. Welcome to Thrive Thursday with Dr. Yishai. This week on the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, I had Kevin Dugan, CEO and Managing Partner of Altus and VP of Business Development at Urban REI Management, which creates and manages ownership and rental properties as appreciating and income-generating investments for clients. On Insight Sunday, Kevin shares his journey from changing majors repeatedly in college to developing an investment view and then into an impact and mission-driven mindset. Along the way, we discuss happiness, goals, and mission as they relate to both life and business. On Story Tuesday, Kevin shares his hard-earned lessons on the value of time, investing beyond just financially in people and education, and developing a perpetual learning mindset. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to episodes number 55 and 56. Today, in the first of my three-part series on handling emotions, I'm talking about the mistakes we make when emotions show up that end up working against us instead of harnessing our emotions to help us. And that's both for our personal life and also really in business and in leadership. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a six or seven plus figure business and experience a drag or dip in your growth, if you notice diminishing engagement or passion in your business, if you want to eliminate exhaustion and burnout in yourself or your teams, if you sense that you or your company would grow faster and stronger if you could just pivot efficiently and effectively when circumstances change like they had so much in 2020, then you've got an adaptability problem. Adaptability coaching and consulting will give you and your business the psychology and neuroscience-backed tools to understand and leverage core adaptability skills through the unique 3D adaptation framework. You can learn to harness and leverage core adaptability skills to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. 
you can learn to turn tough circumstances, reactions, and exhaustion into energy, excitement, and excellence for you and your company. To learn more, go to dryishai.com slash coaching or dryishai.com slash consulting. Now, without further ado, let's dive into 12 mistakes you make with emotions that create more problems for yourself and your business. I'm not shy about being a sensitive kid and talking about how tough it is growing up as a sensitive kid. One day, while playing with my brother and some friends, my reactions get the better of me. I snap. The pool ball leaves my fingertips, hurtling straight at my brother's head. Lucky for me, it only tears a two-foot crater through the wall behind him. Unlucky for me, my brother is much bigger than me. I tear out of the room, tears streaming down my face, adrenaline coursing through my veins. I run and hide for hours. Shaking and sobbing, I feel so overwhelmed and out of control. I'm scared out of my wits, feeling guilty for nearly taking my brother's head off, ashamed of totally losing it in front of everyone, and still seeing red, totally enraged about whatever set me off. At seven years old, I feel like I've just lost my friends, my brother, and any shred of respect I have for myself. I realize this is not normal. This is not okay. I realize that my emotions are dangerous. They hurt me and people around me. I realize my emotions can take control of me in an instant and wreck everything. And at that moment, with tears still clinging to my chin, puffy eyes that I can barely see through, a nose overflowing with ugly cry snot, I make one fateful commitment. I swear I will never let my emotions do that again. Spoiler, that does not work out well because the very next thing I dedicate all my time and energy on is to spend years tirelessly working to shut my emotions down, which, after almost a decade of effort, I succeed at doing quite well. Spoiler part two, that also does not work out well. It doesn't help that my loving family and friends have no idea how to handle emotions that show up with such magnitude and force. They had no idea how to respond to the kid who is not yet equipped to understand and respond well to his own emotions. Fortunately, I've come a long way since then and learned a lot more about emotions, why and how they show up, and what to do with them. And it's been a 25-year journey and a lot of uncovering and discovering things that I just hadn't seen or understood before. Today, I'm going to share what I've had to learn the hard way by making the mistakes. Today, I'm going to share what I've painstakingly put together to stop making those kinds of mistakes. Today, I'm going to share the biggest mistakes we make when thinking about, acting on, and handling our own and others' emotions. I have made each of these mistakes and seen others make them too when mishandling their own and each other's emotions. But it's hard to know how to handle and respond well, especially when you don't have clarity on why they show up 
and what they're trying to do. If you need a refresher on that, it's worth going back and listening to episodes 45, 48, and 51, which are the solo episodes where I break it all down for you. So here are the first four mistakes that we make. Number one, focus on the discomfort instead of the source. Here's the thing about emotions. While some of them can be intensely pleasurable, some of them can be incredibly uncomfortable, downright miserable. I honestly cannot think of one person who said they enjoy feeling unhappy, worried, stressed, overwhelmed, guilty, ashamed, or depressed. Any of those or other uncomfortable emotions can give rise to discomfort in our bodies, like the hot pinpricks of guilt, the gnawing and nagging thoughts of worry, or the intense tension of stress. Given a choice, most of us would not intentionally choose to feel that way. I will admit, though, that I'm actually grateful to have the capacity to experience those emotions now. It doesn't make them any less uncomfortable. Sometimes it is really downright miserable to experience the discomfort. But focusing on the discomfort is like having a broken bone and only focusing on the pain. Of course, the pain can be blinding and overwhelming, but it's there to tell us something is wrong and to provide needed attention and treatment to the situation. Whether you're experiencing an uncomfortable emotion, recognize that it's trying to draw your attention to a situation that needs to be addressed. So if you get laser focused on just the discomfort, you're going to miss the underlying point. I see this a lot in entrepreneurs who are experiencing overwhelm. They get so wrapped up in the difficulty and discomfort of overwhelm that they struggle to pinpoint the underlying causes and take effective corrective action. Instead, they end up scrambling, pushing themselves past a breaking point, or just offloading whatever they can which can lead to a cycle of overwhelm because the underlying problems, whether it's in their own life or their scheduling or their business, whatever it is, it's not getting the attention it needs. Number two, thinking of emotions as an outcome. A lot of people talk and think about emotions as if they're the direct result of actions that we or other people take or of circumstances. For example, saying, my boss yelled at me and made me mad, or my team didn't work hard enough and disappointed me. In both of those cases, the emotion is thought of and talked about as though it's the undesirable result. Whether we think that it's the result of our own action or someone else's, it leads down the road of having to change the behavior just to avoid the emotion. I want to clarify that emotions do often point us toward changes that are necessary to accomplish our goals or meet our needs. But there's a difference in putting the emotion as the undesirable result to be avoided versus viewing it as the compass that tells us how to direct our energy and attention to reach our goals. In the early 20th century, researchers Edward Thorndike and Ivan Pavlov each independently uncovered and wrote about what's now known as the stimulus response model. 
Generally, the idea was that animals can be viewed as a large set of input-output mechanisms. Pavlov is particularly famous for his work on classical conditioning with dogs, which is all about creating connection between inputs to achieve a desired output. In one of his famous experiments, he would ring a bell at the time that he would put out food to feed dogs and then notice them salivating. And then, later on, he would ring the bell and see that they were salivating just from the bell, even without seeing the food or even without putting out food. But the thing is that that model treated animals and even humans as robots with no personal choice, desire, or agency. As if salivating because the bell happened at the same time as the food. And so a bell can cause salivating. It has a lot of utility in understanding and training ourselves and our pets. But it's a poor model for everyday complex interactions that underpin relationships, business, and society. One of their contemporaries, a researcher by the name of Robert Woodworth, developed a model that considered the agency of organisms and allowed for a lot more complexity. Known as the Stimulus Organism Response Model, or the SOR model, it viewed any living being as having an internal set of processes, a sort of in-between that didn't just equate an input to a predictable output. And in fact, over the last five years, maybe even a little bit more, more and more models for marketing and sales have incorporated this stimulus organism response model. So many people treat emotions as a stimulus response phenomenon. They think, I lost the deal and was really disappointed. But emotions aren't that simple, nor are they just outputs. Emotions, like the organism in the stimulus organism response model, are actually the processing, desire-evoking, decision-influencing, agency-activating process. In other words, emotions don't just happen to us. They are drawing our attention, motivating, and pushing us to respond so that we can address and achieve our goals and our needs. If being mad is a result and one to be avoided at all costs, then it becomes easy for leadership to say things like, I'll be mad if you don't finish your work in time. And that sort of communication doesn't really motivate your people to do their best work. It motivates them to figure out how to avoid or prevent your becoming mad. But it can also lead to less motivation, more worry in the workplace, and more wasted energy trying to figure out and avoid the leadership or those emotions. Instead, you can acknowledge the emotion and consider what it's telling and motivating you or your teams to accomplish. To draw on the example I was using a little bit earlier, you could say, this deal was really important and losing it puts us in a tough position. Yes, it's disappointing. And that means we want and need to continue working hard to accomplish our goals. Number three, blaming. The blame game is a dangerous game. It's one of the most pernicious and toxic mistakes that leadership can make in business. It has a massive negative impact on how people experience, approach, and relate to the workplace. It can drag down every metric from engagement to productivity to your bottom line. The way I see it, blame is simply placing my emotion on someone else. 
making them responsible for it. It's so common that we hardly notice when we or other people say, you made me mad, you disappointed me, or it's your fault that I'm so annoyed. There's a ton of empirical evidence that when someone blames others for their mistakes, they learn less, they lose social standing, and they perform worse than people who accept responsibility for their own mistakes. Research even extends those findings to organizations and businesses. When there's a blame culture, it stifles innovation, creativity, learning, and taking risks that are essential to growth and success. Why might that be the case? Because blaming is pointing the finger elsewhere, placing responsibility for both emotions and outcomes on someone or something else. Which means that the person doing the blaming has no agency to make change or to do better. They release themselves of responsibility by engaging in blaming without realizing that it simultaneously disempowers them. Because here's what happens. While they're off the hook because it's somebody else's fault, they also have just given up any opportunity to say, here's what didn't work and what I can do to make it better next time. Ultimately, blame turns the focus outward rather than inward. But emotions are not about others. They're about our own needs and goals. Whether that's for ourselves personally or for our business. When leadership or teams engage in blame, all they succeed in doing is dumping their emotions, needs, and goals on each other. It has the unfortunate result of everybody wanting to dodge responsibility. Because that's a lot to take on everybody else's emotions, needs, and goals. Which is why it's so toxic and can tear apart teams, partners, and entire corporations. Number four, labeling ourselves or others. Next in line takes blaming one step further from making others responsible into the realm of labeling them. Which is my definition for judgment. When we place an emotion that we have as a label on someone else. If you've ever called someone a jerk or been called one, you know what I'm talking about. Because it's easy to think and say when someone cuts us off, whether we're driving, in line at Starbucks, or in the middle of talking. It's closely related to a psychological phenomenon known as the fundamental attribution error, which is our tendency to view others' mistakes as part of their personality. For example, if you see someone trip in the street, you're more likely to think that they're a clumsy person, that that's a characteristic that they have, rather than just thinking that the pavement was uneven. Another way of thinking about it is how Susan David, the author of Emotional Agility, talks about when she says that people have a habit of identifying themselves as their feelings by saying, I am sad or I am mad. She points out that we're not our anger, even though we might label our entire identity with it. And it can show up in other subtle ways too, like thinking that someone on your team is lazy or a weak link. There are a lot of ways that we label ourselves and others with emotions, but it tends to move us away from becoming curious and connected with those emotions. Instead, those emotions become the reason to act out. Today, I covered four mistakes that we make when handling emotions that create more problems. Number one, 
focus on the discomfort instead of the source. Number two, thinking of emotions as an outcome. Number three, blaming and making others responsible. Number four, labeling ourselves or others. To be straight with you, I've made all of these mistakes. In fact, I still do sometimes. But now that I've begun to pick apart and reconstruct what emotions are, why they show up, and how to handle them, I have the tools to harness them instead of getting tossed around or dragged down by them, or allowing them to affect and drag down others. Over the next two weeks, I'm going to continue to share eight more mistakes that I've learned about so that you can become more aware and learn to handle emotions better, both for yourself and for your business. And on that note, I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 